<laughs> it is, exactly. You're very correct, as always, Coach. He said if we lift him up, he'd draw all men. But, you know, that includes us, right? And so sometimes if you feel like Jesus is far, it's not him, it's you. Bless his name, and then uh, you'll draw near to him, right? Because yeah. he's never leaves us, but sometimes we move a little bit away from him, and so we get to do the moving back, right? All right, so uh, you get the last word. How many of you love to have the last word? Oh, yeah. I mean, Melissa Linda's like, oh, yes, sister. Amen. But you know, here's the good news. God has authorized you to have the last word. Now, people in your life may not give you that privilege, okay? Um, so try not to demand it of others. But uh, in, in spiritual realm, God has actually authorized you to have the last word. People often say, well, God is in control. If he is, he's doing a really bad job. He's not in control because he told, he told Adam and then he told the disciples, here's the keys. I'm giving them to you. Now, if he has the keys, do I have them? No. Who's in control? Jesus is not in control because he said, I'm giving you all power and all authority and the keys to the kingdom. And then he left, left you with the keys. And the authority and the power to use them. So you get the last word. Jesus, Jesus' word in your life is not the most powerful thing. <gasps> How could you say that? Because God's word in your ears only tells you what can be so. God's word in your mouth, back to his ears, makes it so. So who's get the, who gets the last word, God or you? You have the last word over your life. God has the last word, as in Badia Badia, that's all folks, and puts the pin in the bubble called time when he's done. Uh, he gets the last word on when it's all over with. But in your life, you have the final say. Now and, and uh, on the doorstep of eternity. Isn't that good news? Yes. The only thing you're actually in control of is you. <laughs> Anybody realize that they're not in control of anything or anyone else? You're not in control of the weeds in your yard. You're not in control of the temperature. You're not in control of the news media. You're not in control of the other drivers on the road. Even though you'd like them to have some self-control, there seems to be none. Self-control is as rare as common sense, which is now only uncommon fact on eBay or the black market. Uh, and so goes self-control and all the other virtues. <laughs> but a different kind of life begins with the way you think. So Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Turn to that passage for me because we some scriptures we think we've memorized and we don't put our eyes on them anymore. But the word uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind means that the method that God authorized for your life to be transformed was one only, this one. So you're not authorized to be transformed by pastor laying hands on you. You're not authorized to be transformed by having an oil poured on your head. Those are our methods which you can obtain some things, but not inward transformation. Jesus said, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes we want other people to preach sermons to us, to lay hands on us, do our praying for us, do agreement for us, and we think we're going to have inward transformation. But inward transformation is only up to you. And God has one method alone, and that's the word. So he said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, if you don't renew your own mind to this word, will you have any transformation in your life? No. But yet with the measure that you decide to renew your mind to the word is the measure of transformation. So some days, I, get, I don't know about you, but I get up and think, I don't like me. 
I'm not changed enough. <laughs> um, I don't want to be like me. I want to be like Jesus. So in other words, God's like, hey, then put, spend more time in the word. Because if you want to get some of you out and get God's stuff in, the only method authorized to cause you transformation is the word. So turn off the Netflix, get off the Facebook, maybe turn off the news. and It's depressing anyway. And uh, turn on Brother Copeland or, or something or put your Bible. How many of you have like the Bible on a audio thing, a CD or a a phone where you could just hit it and play it all the time. So if you have a phone, it's free, free Bible apps. And most of them have a sound button and you can just hit that and just play the Bible in your car as you're driving along because it's not a Wi-Fi thing. Yeah, you've got it. It's right there on your thing. So see Miss Linda if you need to be techie. She's techie. I have people in my life that have to help me use my telephone. Okay. Um, And so uh, Satan's point of entrance in your life always begins with wrong thinking. So if you're going to be transformed or if you have an area that you're struggling in, that just tells you you have an unrenewed mind in that area. A renewed mind does not struggle. So maybe uh, you feel like you've developed your faith a lot for healing and it's easy for you to believe. And so therefore your mind doesn't struggle with the concept that by his stripes, I'm healed. But maybe there's another area in your life like finances where you struggle with faith. You struggle with understanding a renewed mind doesn't struggle. So if you're struggling in any area, don't be condemned. Don't feel guilty. Don't get upset. Just renew your mind to that word. Spend the next 30 days feeding on that subject in the scripture as your morning devotion and get your mind renewed. Then your mind won't struggle struggle over the truths of the word. A renewed mind does not struggle. An unrenewed mind will have a struggle in an area. You want to identify the areas of struggle and and you want to feed yourself along those lines. Does that make sense? Your mind has to be disciplined. Uh, So this is what the Greek paraphrase says of Romans 12 too. And I love it this way. He says, do not resemble this world, this age, the past, present, future, Jewish messianic period, past, present, or future Jewish age or course. So in other words, he was saying to Christians or believers, you're not supposed to go back. You're not supposed to become one with them. There's no more Jew. There's no Greek. There's no Gentile. There's only one body in Christ. So in other words, the direction is forward. That's not your course. You're on this course, this one right here. And so he's, he was cautioning you to be careful not to be a part of the world or to be a part of what some people say is the Jewish messianic age. How many of you understand that, it, that a, even a Jew needs to be born again to go to heaven? Okay, so you can be Jewish by heritage, but that doesn't make you saved because Jesus had to be born again with the breath of God on the inside of him and go to the cross and be raised. And then he had to breathe on the disciples and they had to receive salvation. So he's saying, that's not your course, and that's not your course. This is your course. So in other words, if you've got multiple things out there, that means you're going to be distracted. So Jesus was saying, this is your path. You're going to have to focus on this path, the one of renewing your mind to the word, not renewing your mind to what Oprah says is right or what uh, politicians say is right or wrong. Don't renew your mind to that. But are are they not happy to help you with mind renewal? Okay, everybody wants to renew your mind to their way of thinking. Okay, there might be facts and there, there might be uh, things involved, but that doesn't make it the truth of God's word. You want to renew your mind to the truth of God's word or your thinking will be clouded and confused. Uh, he says, by, this is how you renew your mind, but be changed by the exchange of your thoughts for his. Isn't that awesome? So it's called the great exchange. You can take your confused thoughts your incomplete thoughts, your bad thoughts, your negative thoughts, your worrisome thoughts, and say, God, let me trade you for your good thoughts. And he'll trade you. He'll take your lousy stuff in exchange for his good stuff. Which one of you got the better end of the deal? 
got to always make sure that you win. So the great exchange, when you have a stinky thought, trade it for God's sake. Wait a minute. That thought doesn't line up with the word. Let me trade that thought. Let me dismiss that thought and replace it. You can't dismiss a thought. You can only replace a thought. And thoughts are replaced with words, not thoughts. Concerning your duty uh, and what is required of you, what is beneficial and well-pleasing. And this is what it says, completing your growth mentally and morally, which is God's choice for you. In other words, if you're not renewing your mind, you're not going to grow. So you're, and, and God said it's possible. Remember he said, be perfect as I am perfect. That word perfect means complete growth mentally and morally. Was it possible for you to continue to grow all of your life? Not only was it possible, it was commanded of God. We weren't to arrive at any place in life spiritually where we're like, I'm good. I know all the Bible stories. I don't have to read them. I don't have to listen to them again. We were not to arrive at any place in our life, even if we lived to 120, that we weren't a student and say, there's more for me to know. There's more of Jesus and less of me to be had. So we were to forever be, be learners, right? So the mind is the acting, ruling part of us. So if you're renewing the mind, you're renewing the whole man. In our society, we're taught fix everything on the outside, right? We want to uh, decorate the house. We don't want to renovate the house. Okay, we want to put paint on. We don't want to pay for pipes because we want to see pretty paint and we don't want to fix the pipes in the wall. We want to landscape the yard and God wants to excavate it. And so when you, we want, when we want to fix up our outward body, nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't neglect house maintenance. This is just a house. Okay. It carries around your spirit, man. Um, you only have one life. Don't need to go through it ugly. Right. And so, uh, we want to do how you're not going to let the screens and the shutters and the gutters fall off your, your natural house. So let's, let's not have the screens and shutters and gutters fall off this house either. And so to renew the mind is to renew the total man. But if we're always doing outward things only and we're not renewing our inward man, then we're not actually going to change. So if you only paint your house and you only decorate and you only landscape, but eventually if you never replace, upgrade the electrical, upgrade the plumbing, or make sure there's no cracks in the foundation, is the house going to stand the test of time? No. So we don't want to totally neglect the outside, but we want to really live life from the inside out. So when the inward man is renewed, I got something on the inside, right? Working on the outside. It will show up on the outside in your appearance. Amen. Because man is looking on the outside. Um, So Jesus has made us master of our lives to rule and reign with him. A peaceful life flows from a guarded mind. Anybody ever noticed when you have a disturbing thought? The offering uh, by Satan of a disturbing thought to you is always accompanied by a feeling. If Satan did not accompany feelings with your thoughts, would you consider them real? So you're like, well, it must be real. I feel fear. I feel, no, what he does is offer a thought in partnership with, let me give you an emotion that fits it. Because if I give you an emotion, you're governed by that. You'll believe that it's real and you'll accept the thought because it must be real because I feel it. So it's always partnered. It's just not a thought. It's something that comes to your emotion. And so you have to renew that. You have to like, that might be, and and notice this, Satan doesn't talk to you about things that you're not going to be convinced about. So he may introduce a thought to you that seems like it might be applicable or factual to your life, maybe not to somebody else. Like Satan's not going to come and tempt me with going down to the Soho district and tap dancing on the bar on Friday night. 
not interested. Wasn't interested BC, not interested now, okay? That somebody else is going to be tempted by that. It's going to gravely interest them. Um, but he's going to use another thought to interest me that suits my personality in life. So in other words, he'll customize what's called your Achilles heel. My strength is your weakness. Your weakness might be my strength. So he's not going to talk to you in a way that you're going to easily dismiss it. You're, he wants it to be applicable and factual so that you'll go, hmm, hey, you know, you did that thing. Remember that thought? So you can be like, actually, I did do that. You know, and it's kind of true. And that way you meditate. You accept the thought and the feeling and you're not dismissing it. And so you're, you're not transformed by that. In other words, you're being conformed to the world when you accept those thoughts and feelings. So a peaceful life, folks, from a guarded mind. And notice when you accept the thought partnered with the feeling that Satan introduces to you about your health, your finances, relationship, anything, all of a sudden peace leaves. Because Romans 15, 13 says there's joy and peace in believing. So the first thing that leaves is the partnership and joy and peace. And it's replaced by worry, doubt, fear, anything else that it was accompanied by that emotion. So again, that just tells you, don't be upset. Don't fall out and go, wait a minute, my mind has struggled, so it's not renewed. So I'm going to take the next 30 days and I'm going to renew my mind to this. And I'm not going to struggle in this area anymore. 30 days, or if it takes you longer, it takes you longer. Generally, serious meditation on any subject in the word for about a month, it, you're pre- pretty much, your faith is building. And you can, you begin, there is a difference between knowledge and skill. I have knowledge of my cell phone. I can make a phone call, not a whole lot else. I have knowledge that does many, many more things. But Miss Linda, I can tell, has skill. Difference between knowledge and skill. So is it okay with you if when you need brain surgery that the guy that just got out of school with all the knowledge in the whole world on brain surgery operate on you or would you prefer the guy that's been practicing and has become skillful with the scalpel for 20 years? What do you want, knowledge or skill? But then don't we need to be that for others? We don't want to be the person that I know, I know the word, I heard that, I've heard that before, I know that for how about being skillful? <laughs> skillful with the sword or everybody around you needs to duck because you're scary. You have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. You know, <laughs> I know how to use it. Everybody's like, it's a duck instead of just skillful. When I took it out, I went right for the heart of the enemy and I didn't take out my brothers and sisters around me. Skill versus knowledge, right? Yeah. So Jesus has made you the master of your life to rule and reign. A peaceful life will flow from a guarded mind, a sound and disciplined mind. So all depression, fear and oppression finds a landing place in wrong thinking. Some people say, how does somebody get depressed? Starts with a wrong thought that goes into a paragraph, that goes into a page in a book, that becomes a chapter, that becomes the story of your life. All of that finds a landing place in wrong thinking. Um, I can stop the birds from making a nest in my hair. I can't stop them flying overhead, but they're not going to make a nest in my hair. So the, the thoughts come. Satan has the right to send the darts. The Bible didn't authorize me to stop the attack. He said I could defeat the attack. Weapons may form. In other words, they have permission to form. They don't have permission to prosper. Birds may fly overhead, but they don't have permission to build a nest in my hair. Okay, so thoughts may come, emotions may come, but you either grant them permission to build a life on or you dismiss them by opening your mouth to the word. You get the last word. I don't take that thought. I dismiss that thought. It doesn't line up with the word. The other day, my husband 
we were looking at something in the house and he was telling me something that uh, was on his heart that was hurting him. And he said, doesn't this bother you? I said, I dismissed the thought. I have a choice about everything that comes to me to go, yeah, I'm bothered. That hurts me. Or I can dismiss it by saying, I dismiss that thought. I'll just pray for that person. Lord bless them, position them for blessing. I dismissed the thought with my mouth. I didn't think it away. I didn't go, a scarlet little hair syndrome. I'll think about that tomorrow. Okay, sarah, sarah. You cannot dismiss thoughts with thoughts. That's the battlefield of the mind where Satan has the, the, uh, the power to defeat you. Um, I'll just meditate and think it away. Jesus answered the devil 100%. Now, Jesus didn't always answer people, especially when they accused him. He didn't need to defend himself. But 100% of the time in scripture, he answered the enemy. He answered him with thoughts. He answered it. He answered it. He answered it. He, he didn't think it away. He answered it. It's open your mouth. In other words, he had the last word in his life all the time. He even had the last word about the fig tree. He had the last word about the storm. No, sir. Peace be still. So you, he's authorized you. He said, as I was in this world, now so are you. In other words, dominate. Take the last word over what you've been given jurisdiction. And surely that's in your own life. Um, so if you're thinking about it, you're worrying. We've talked about that before. How about this word that people, Christians, always come up with uh, what they think are synonyms for words that God said don't do. Well, don't worry. Okay, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. <laughs> Or they'd say this, um, I'm, I'm just processing that. So that's the new word for disobedience or slow or partial obedience. I just need to process that. Like, where'd you get that? Oprah? Yeah. You didn't get that out of the Bible. So partial obedience and slow obedience is still disobedience. Now you should process before you decide to jump over the ditch with little your buddy who says, hey, it's only six feet. We can make it. Stop and process that first. Okay. But when God says do this, don't process it. Okay. And don't say, oh, I have to understand because that's not what you told American Airlines before you got on the plane to go on your last trip. You know, I'm not going to be able to get on this plane today because I just don't understand how it flies. You don't even know if the pilot sober. You don't even know if he's actually up there. <laughs> you could have a heart attack, you know, and so uh, you don't understand anything. You also don't understand anything about the dentist who puts a drill in his fingers in your mouth and grinds down on the only teeth you'll ever have. You don't understand any of that, but you let people do things to you all day long. You don't understand, but then you tell God, I can't do it because I, I don't understand that. I'll just need to process that. You gonna pray about what God said. That's called rebellion. Aren't you glad that I'm here today? <laughs> Hang on. Sugar's coming next week. Yeah, I always say, that's my husband. You'll be all right. Sugar's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Go with me to Hebrews 11.8. People are like, when pastor's gone, Pastor Marie's there. Jesus, help us. Yeah. I'm like, did you bring your shoulder harness and your lap belt and your steel-toed shoes? Because I like steak. <laughs> Hebrews 11.8. It says, by faith, Abraham... When he was called out into a place which after he would receive an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing where he went. Was Abraham saved? No. Was he filled with the Holy Ghost? No. Did he have the Bible? No. And yet this unsaved man that was a heathen who served the moon god, he was from Ur of Chaldees, could follow an instruction from God. We have a whole book of written instructions that we think we need to process. And it says he didn't know where he was going. In other words, the Amplified says he didn't trouble his mind about it. So when God gives you an instruction, you're not to trouble his mind. You're to say, I'm yours to command. Where would you like me to go? Zimbabwe, 
awesome. Do I want to go to Zimbabwe? No, but I do now. And am I going to like it? Yeah, because my mama t- taught me that you were not only going to eat that, you were going to act like you liked it. So you learn to govern your thoughts and emotions at our dinner table growing up. You didn't sit there and gag. If you, got, if you gagged, you got whipped. Or you sat there in the dark with the lights out for two hours. You didn't give it to the dog. You didn't get a can of ravioli. You ate it if it took you two hours. And I spent many an evening in the dark in the dining room. Yeah, and uh, I'm all right, yeah. <laughs> but the people raised on that canned stuff, they're not so good today. Got a lot of health problems. Okay, so uh, the Greek paraphrase of Hebrews 11:8 says this, God called Abraham to go out to a place that he did not know, whereafter he would receive an inheritance. Notice the blessing comes after your obedience. We're always trying to access the blessing of the covenant without obeying the terms of the covenant. So uh, when we finished our chores, we got blessed. Today, parents do children a disservice by the trophy for everyone system. They don't have to comply. And so they're rewarded as a sense of entitlement for nothing. So that's actually not a reward. It just says, because I'm breathing, I'm so special and wonderful. No, you're not. You can become that. And actually, we're to raise children fit for the master's use and for no other purpose. Okay, so that was a different sermon. By faith, he obeyed. In other words, it it will take faith to obey. But if an unsaved man can have it, then we can certainly come up with some because faith comes by hearing and we have the word. He obeyed, not knowing where he was going, and he didn't trouble his mind. So if you need to process what happened to you, process it after you obeyed. I was at process on the backside of obedience. So here's what I'll do. I'll go to the mission field, do whatever, come down here for the last 20 years. And eventually I might stop and go, I've been doing that for the last six months, year. Yeah, and somebody will ask me a question. I'll have to look back because I'm too busy saying yes and obeying God, not wondering what I think about it, what my opinion is, or what I feel about it. Uh, honestly, if I stop and say, I don't enjoy the mission field. <gasps> Shock. You know, it's almost sacrilegious. Um, do I look like I like standing up, standing in water backed up to my knees from God knows where in the shower? Do I look like a missionary? Probably not, right? Okay. So some people are like, oh, I love the mission field. I don't really like hot and dirty and cold showers or no water at all. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't like. What do I like? My father's will. And so people are like, well, I don't feel called in Michigan. I'm still waiting to feel called 20 years after going once or twice a year. And so if you're going to wait till you have these warm, fuzzy feelings when I'm pretty sure Mark 16, 15, unfortunately for me, I read that verse. Now I'm going to count, go ye. That means all of us. That, that, in other words, God's already picked up the phone and said, you go. Not, I feel led, I feel called, I'm going to pray about it. Go. So I'm busy going. Do I, do I actually enjoy it? No. When I get there, I enjoy what we're doing, and I certainly enjoy uh, plundering hell and populating heaven, but I don't have any warm fuzzies about a trip like that. You try dragging yourself and 70 other hot, cranky, tired, hungry people with you. Yeah. <laughs> and the most luxurious accommodations. Yeah. So, um, we, in other words, we've, uh, we have reckoned God's will and the word too closely with American entitlism. And we, for, we are renewed our minds to the world without even realizing it, that we thought we had a right to have opinions and feelings about God's instructions. And then to say things arrogantly like, I think I'll pray about that or process it. And we wonder why we're not walking in the full blessing of God. Is we, we're not even recognizing that our mind is unrenewed to the word. It's very renewed to the world in the church and very renewed to our society to the point that we're not we can't even tell until somebody like me comes and loves you with tough love 
So unstop worry leads to fear and unstop condemnation leads to depression. If your thoughts are troubling you, stop listening to them. How do you stop listening? You do it all the time. You talk, you interrupt. (laughs) How many of you are not really listening when someone's talking? Your mind's making a grocery list. And so uh, some people don't raise your hand or give in to, to interrupting a lot. So how do you not listen? Talk. So the only time it's not rude to interrupt is when it's yourself. So when Satan's having negative thoughts or your own conscious is bringing you negative thoughts, interrupt them. Interrupt yourself. It's not rude. Start talking. I don't, I'm not going to think on that. I'm not going to meditate on that. Lord, this is what you said about me in your word. It doesn't matter what I feel like. What I am is redeemed. What I am is bought with the blood. What I am is righteous. You're righteous because Jesus did everything right, not because you do everything right. If you did everything right every day, you wouldn't need a savior. Amen. So when you have these thoughts of guilt or condemnation or anything, you answer it with, it doesn't matter if you feel about yourself, believe what God said about you, whether you feel it or think it or not. And then insist that your body and your mind line up with your spirit, man. Insist that everything line up. How many of you ever look in the mirror and, and tell yourself off? You are ruining my life. Yeah. Adjust yourself. Body, you will do what I tell you to do. You will not do what you want to do. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to get up. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. Mind, I've heard enough. Body, I've heard enough. Zip it. Does your mind have a voice? Yeah. It's it's a two-year-old. Your mind is a permanent two-year-old unless it's renewed. It's going to yell at you because we're overly awed with our thoughts in this country. We're paid for opinions. God only is not, not only paying you for opinion, he's not interested in it. Um, and then we, everything is about how our body feels. Do I feel t- tired? Do I feel hungry? Do I feel cold? It's about instant comfort to our body. And so you have to dominate it with your spirit, man, from a renewed mind. So you got to line that mind and that body up under your spirit. And the only way you're going to do that, that's called transformation, is to put enough of the word in that you can dip down in that well and draw it out and say it out of your mouth. Get the last word over that thought or that feeling or whatever's going on in your body. You can use the S word, shutteth upeth. It's King James. We weren't even allowed to say shut up in my house, but if my mom was alive today, I'd tell her, mom, it's King James, shutteth upeth. Yeah. Uh, Not speaking to someone else, but speaking to yourself or to the enemy. Amen. The only time it's not rude to interrupt is when it's yourself. So you get the last word. The only time God has authorized you to have the last word is over your own body, your own spirit, and your own mind. Notice it's not over others, of course, unless they're children or grandchildren under your jurisdiction. But then mainly what you're teaching them is how to be self-governing too. So by your example, you teach them. And so we had this... um, uh, this board of correction in our home when the boys were growing up. And when they were young, we would uh, tell them they needed to stop and be self-governing. And we taught them by the scripture. So eventually, when they are about five or six, we could take the little paddle out, wasn't little, and daddy would uh, lean it up against the wall in the hallway after he gave the instruction. That is your chance to correct yourself and if you, t- if you pass on the opportunity to correct yourself, it is my obligation for God to correct you. Does God not always give us the chance to be self-correcting? Yeah, to correct ourselves, line ourselves up with the word. If we don't correct ourselves, does correction come? Yeah, from God or from consequences. So they would, when they were doing what they were not supposed to, and we only said thing one time. One time. I didn't count to anything. I didn't 
ever count one, much less get to two. And I didn't repeat myself. Instruction repeated becomes correction. And so you, you train your children like yourself that when God speaks, you, you instantly obey. When I say this, we don't need to yell, we don't count, you're just going to do it. And so they didn't think about not doing it because they just understood that we were going to do it. Because uh, the train's not counting when it runs over you on the track. <laughs> hey, get off the track. Hey, you can't tell me what to do. You're right because you're dead. Yeah, because the train ran over you. So people who can't follow an instruction, uh, they don't live a whole long time. So that's kind of part of it. So you get the last word. Uh, Did Jesus not pray for Peter that his faith would not fail? And so uh, remember the story of when uh, Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, now this is before the event. So this is a word of wisdom and this is a prophecy to Peter. Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you or to have you. In other words, basically, he was letting Peter know, crack kills, and you got to crack, Peter. In other words, you've opened the door somewhere, and so Satan is after you, and he has a legal right, actually, to go after you, because Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He was like, no, uh the motto of the deceived, very profound. No one can spell it either. No, uh Always said very nasally, too. Uh, and so Jesus said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So Jesus had already prayed it out in the spirit in the future for Peter. And this is what he told Peter. When you return, so he prophesied to Peter the outcome of his life. You know, Peter, Satan's desiring to sift you. But I prayed, number one, that your faith would not fail. And that when you return, so he told Peter, basically, you're going to be okay. In other words, you're not going to commit suicide like Judas. Because you're going to want to when you figure out what you did that you denied me. So that same suicidal temptation came to Peter. He said, and when you return, and he gave him an assignment. So he prophesied the outcome of his entire future and gave him his life's purpose. You're to return resolutely your brethren. You're to go to them and you're going to strengthen them. In just one prophecy. So it only takes one word from God to change your life. And you've only got a few million of them. This is prophecy right here. Amen. So you, when you need faith is when you miss it. And for some reason people go, oh, I missed it. I'm in attack. I must be a faith failure. Because a trial came, you're a faith failure. Now, this is for the win you're going to exercise faith. You're not a faith failure because an attack has come to you. Because the attack comes to all of us. So attacks are not a measure of your faith quotient, where you have little or great faith. Now, what will be a measure is your response versus your reaction. How much of it is in you? And you know what? Don't be condemned if you feel like "Mm, there wasn't quite enough. You have this great, amazing thing in the body of Christ. You could borrow some from somebody else. If you need some money, are you allowed to try to borrow some from the bank or or a friend? Yeah, so if you need money. But if you need uh, heaven's currency called faith, you have a legal borrowing system called the prayer of agreement, right? So all of a sudden my, my car dies and, and, and I realized that um, I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to some prosperity scriptures and believing and I need a car because I've got to get to work and I'm really believing God, but I need it tomorrow. And I'm able to go, you know what? I'm not sure I have faith for it. So I can go over to Johnny and go, Johnny, would you pray the prayer of agreement with me today and believe God with me? But you know what? If I ask Johnny to borrow some faith and he doesn't have any, who's stupid? Make sure the person you ask to borrow faith has got some to lend. And if you don't have any to lend, if Jen says, Pastor Marie, I need a car and I need you to pray for me and I'm up front of the church and I need to be honest if I don't have a measure and go, Jen, my faith is all used up. I got my faith on a car, a house, the mission field, 80 people in the congregation. I don't have any faith, but hang on right there. I know Miss Betty has car faith. 
because she's got enough to lend. She's got to have 10% of faith that she's not using on her own stuff. So maturity is when you've, you've got enough faith that you're taking care of your needs and now you've got faith to lend to other people. Remember the scripture that the Israelites, God said, you will not uh, borrow to na- from nations, but you will lend. Now, although when he was speaking to Israel as a nation, they had enough wealth to actually lend to a nation. But that verse is for us too. Do you, are you ever going to have enough money to lend to a nation? So how would it apply to you? Yeah, when I go to the Dominican this summer, I have come to lend some faith. I have not come empty, using up all my faith on my rent, my mortgage. I have come to allow them to borrow faith, that this person needs to be saved, that person needs to be healed, this person needs to be full of Holy Ghost, that person. I have come to lend faith to nations, not to borrow anything from them. But I have to have grown my measure by transforming my mind to the word that I'm not spending all of my faith on me. Does that make sense? So it's not about us four no more. It's about maturing, getting your faith to work on your personal life. Practice your faith on your personal life. And when you've grown it, you believe for your car, go, I believe my car in. I believe my house in. Now now I can lend some, because anybody else need a car. I can pray for you and agree, stand in agreement with you because I've got some faith to lend on that subject. I may not have faith on another subject because I've been spending my time on this one. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of car faith, honestly, but I have house faith. And we'll say, well, house is a whole lot more than the car. Yes, because I was working on my house, so I get you a house. If I get my foot in a house with somebody in prayer of agreement, they, ha- they have always gotten that house. I do have house faith. I'm just more interested in houses than cars, I guess. I guess women are. I'm like, eh, a car, yeah, okay, it's getting me down the road, whatever. Now that I'm getting older, I'm a little more particular. I miss the kind of, you know, comfy seat and stuff like that in a car. Okay, so Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. So Satan is going to try to get you to accept a measure of defeat. And usually the way he does that is through guilt and condemnation. He'll try to accept you to measure uh, of defeat. He'll remind you of your past. Um, Any of you, Satan, ever remind you of your past? Does he play these home reel-to-reel movies? Yeah, and like, and starts playing them through your mind. This is what I do. You might want to try this. There's this really neat passage. When he starts talking to me, you need to answer him. This is the fastest, best way to answer him. Now, here's where Eve went wrong. She had a personal conversation, which means she entertained his uh, thoughts and his speech. I don't do that. But I am going to have a conversation. It's going to be fairly one-sided. So I turn to Revelation 20. And I begin to read out loud when Satan's dog in my walk. And it says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lay hold on the dragon. Ooh, that's you. That old serpent, the devil, that's you too. And bound him <gasps> a thousand years. See right there? Because he's under my feet. So I let, him, I let him look. And about now he starts running away. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I wasn't done. Uh, and cast you into the bottomless pit and shut you up, that you should deceive the nations no more. Wow. Okay, okay, then, but hold on. Good news is coming. You get out for a little while. So as you get out, out to tempt people after a thousand years. But then if I move down to verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, you're going to be loosed out of your prison. You'll deceive the nations and the four corners of the earth. But then the angel comes and gets you, and he puts a ball and chain on your foot, and he throws you into the great lake of fire for all eternity. I don't see any more about you in here. 
Yes, that's all. There's two more chapters, but nothing about you. So he never sticks around for the end. So when Satan starts to talk to you and remind you about your past or try to make you fearful about uh, your future, which is not in line with God's word, you open to Revelation 20 and you declare to him his future. And he won't stay to the end of the conversation. He'll bother somebody else. I'm always running after him. Wait, it wasn't done. Don't you want to hear the end? Oh, we're looking at me like crazy, yeah. In other words, do I get the last word or does he? I guess that decision will be yours, right? Okay, I get the last word in, in my life. So Mark eleven twenty three, and this is what it uh, says. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus was talking, because it's in red letters here. He was teaching the disciples something. He said, Verily I say unto you. That word say means to lay forth and break the silence. That means when God talks about you speaking, he talks about audibly, auditorily, not thinking thoughts, literally opening your mouth and making a statement. It means lay it forth and break the silence. He said, I will say unto this mountain. That word say in the Greek is actually a past tense. It means... I answered past tense ED and command dead past tense ED. So in other words, when I lay forth and break the silence, I have not only my words have gone into the future, eternity, present, past, and future, they have already come back and they have manifested in my life instantaneously. That's why when you speak God's word, it is an instantaneous past, present, and future. It leaves time and causes a manifestation because God's already been to the end of eternity and back and wrote. So you have the ability to speak out of time and into eternity instantly and have a past, present, and future all if you want to say to this mountain that means a problem in your life be removed and cast into the sea but shall not doubt in his heart uh, you shall believe that those things which you sayeth shall come to pass that word sayeth means whatever you answered and commanded so if you don't answer and command do you get it Jesus said whatsoever things you think you get whatsoever things you believe in your heart you get No. So can you believe everything in this Bible and get none of it in your lifetime? You absolutely can. You can believe in your heart everything in here and receive none of it. Because even Romans said you had to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth to get saved. Mm -hmm. So even the first thing you got from God came with your mouth. But so was everything else supposed to come that way. There was nothing you were not going to get without belief and speaking, belief and speaking. Jesus, the Lord, let there be light. Was that a spoken word or a thought? Everything God did, he spoke. Everything Jesus did, peace be still. He didn't go out there and stand on the edge of the boat. Um, think away the storm. Okay. So you have to use the same method authorized. You get the last word. Remember that was exciting. Good news. So, uh, mountains move. Because of words, because they're made up of words. The mountains in your life uh, are probably created through your own mouth of things that you didn't know you were building, negativity. Well, grandmammy had that illness and great-grandpappy had that and that's just the generation or we were poor. And so you've built mountains in your life, problems, a lot of times with your words. And so it's easy for you to remove them with your words. Most of the mountains in our life were actually built by our own words. So they're the fastest, easiest ones to remove. Amen. So get, get to shoveling, right? So here's the paraphrase of that uh, in the Greek. I break the silence and lay it out. Whosoever shall answer and command. 
the problem, the thing that rises up, rears up, lifts itself up against my word in your life, be removed and cast in the sea and shall not withdraw from breaking the silence. In other words, you don't sometimes say it once. Now I pray about it once. Lord, I'm bringing this before you. And after that, I go into Thanksgiving, but it's Thanksgiving out loud. Every time a thought comes to me about my body, thank you, Lord, that I'm healed by your stripes. Did I just say that out loud? You got to break the silence, but it wasn't a request. Jesus, heal me tomorrow. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, please heal me. They're not requests. They're commands because he said 2000 years ago, I healed you. So what I do is go, I believe you. I don't feel healed. I don't look healed. That's not relevant. You said it. You're a truth teller and I'm a liar because my body can lie to me. My thoughts can lie to me. My emotions can lie to me and do. But your word doesn't lie. Everything and everybody else lies but God. So I don't have to feel healed or look healed to accept the truth of your word. But I do have to say I'm healed by your stripes. Amen? Okay. So we're going to not stop breaking the silence in my feelings and thoughts, but trust the things which I lay forth will come to pass. It will be fulfilled. It will be performed. It will be shown. And he shall have whatsoever he answers and commands. It's your job to speak it. It's God's job to fulfill it. Can you do his part? Can you fulfill it? Now, if you could have, you would have already. But can he do yours? God is not going to do your talking for you. He's not going to do your praying. He's not going to do your praising. He's not going to do your talking. The Bible says, whatever a man sows, that and that only, God's not going to be mocked. People can try to mock him, but he said, I'm not going to be mocked. In other words, we're going to see at the end of your life, the proof of the puddings and the eating. It's going to be based on what you said, because you're not going to have anything other than what you said. Only what stands in your life is what you said and did according to my word. Everything else gets burnt up. Okay, so it works like this. God speaks to me from his word. He tells me to say it. So it goes into my heart. I mix faith. It's like putting flour and sugar together to make a cake. How about if I just try to make a cake without flour? Okay, there is a mixing ingredient to everything in here. Goes in here. I add faith. I believe that you said that, God, even if I saw it for the first time. I'm going to mix faith in that. Then I'm going to open my mouth and say it. And so... God tells me what can be so. I open my mouth. Now God fulfills it. He's got his part. I do. Does God ever let down his part? No. Sometimes we, we drop our ball, but God does not drop his. So if there's something not happening, where do we look? Self-examination. Not raising our hand and saying, this faith thing doesn't work. And God, you said, and start striking God with your hand, which is your mouth and the spirit. But Satan works the same way, doesn't he? So he speaks lies to your mind. He tries you to mix faith, get you to mix faith by meditating. And then he wants you to say it. Yeah, I am feeling pretty poorly. Yeah, I'm not feeling so good today. Yeah, things don't look so good. Because both he and God know that whatever they get me to say manifests. So Satan knows God's method. So if he can get you to say, like we on the mission field, it's hot. And one thing we tell the missionaries, please don't state the obvious. We know it's hot. So you don't get to say it's hot. And when somebody asks me, are you tired? Here's my answer. I'm going to sleep good tonight. You're not going to state the obvious. Because if I accept the fact and state the obvious that I feel tired, now I can feel more tired. 
Now you can join in my misery because misery loves company, right? Um, we're going to change the circumstance of being hot, of being tired, of being hungry by what we choose to say. That's not Christian science. That's taking the word of God and say, God, your word overrides fact because it's true. The facts may be that it's hot, but the truth is I don't have to focus on hot. Here's what I can focus on about hot. Hell is hot. And these people are going if you don't forget about being hot and do your job. You didn't come all this way to talk about how hot you were. Stay home in Florida and talk about that all day long. Yeah, it's hot. And that's where they're going, to somewhere real hot. Your past is in your head and your future's in your mouth. So anything that's coming to mind is, is your past, but your future's in your mouth. So if you don't like what's going on, you have the ability to alter your future. But if you keep speaking out what you're seeing, then your present becomes your current situation. And nothing changes. In fact, it just kind of goes backwards. Say this with me. I'm done done. letting Satan Satan. do my thinking for me. Yeah, you just need to be done with that. Um, Here's what happens in the body of Christ, too. We get saved, and then we learn about things not to do. Don't say anything negative. And we learn about what not to say. I like to say, my mother in our house taught me what you're not going to say. You did not criticize. You did not say shut up. We didn't gossip. And if you, she even thought you were talking about somebody, even if it was good, you got slapped. Because you just didn't talk about anybody in your house. My parents were not gossips. Uh, they were not gossiping about people in the church or anywhere else. So my mother instructed me on all the things my mouth was not permitted to say. But my father really took the role in my life of all the things I needed to be saying. He taught me how to dream. He'd say, whatever you can do, and put posters on the wall. So he taught me about the right things to say, and he didn't really know he was functioning biblically. So uh, it's, it's good to be silent about the wrong things. But you can become silent and never learn to speak. In our society, we're taught, hey, let it all hang out. Tell everybody what you think and feel and make sure you blow it up on Facebook, too, and on Instagram so that we can all know how few brain cells you have left to rub together. (laughs) Facebook ought to rate your IQ with stuff that comes out of your mouth. The computer rates your IQ right there because we all know it. Your IQ is minus zero on that one. Um, And so, but you can't just, it's not okay to be quiet and not say anything negative. You've got to open your mouth and speak. And for some people, need to learn to control that. And some people are so quiet and soft-spoken, they need to learn to open their mouth. So know what side of the coin you're on. Maybe you're working on... thinking before you speak and maybe maybe some of you are working on stop thinking so much and start talking you know and doing something both have equally hard work depending on who you are your life is never going to be better than any better than your thought life you're going to have to have a disciplined mind an unrenewed mind is dangerous because it keeps you in the realm of emotion it'll actually keep you fulfilling the plan of god for your life there's some people's minds that have ruined their life But there's some people that have ruined their families, spouses, uh, especially women. And I'm not picking on women, but women can just be given to live by emotion. You can pull your spouse out of the will of God and yourself, too, by yielding all the time to what you think and feel. And even teach your children that method. It's dangerous to have an unrenewed mind and to just let your emotions run amok and and to tell everybody what you think and feel all the time. Uh, there's times even my family will ask me how I think about a situation and, and I love them. But sometimes I, I decline the offer to express my feelings and opinions because it's not relevant. And at the moment, if it's not in line with the word, how is that helping me or them? Yeah, we're all human. We all hurt. We all feel bad. I don't need to state the obvious. Yes, that's a horrible situation. Yes, I feel bad. Since when has expressing grief and sorrow brought comfort? Yeah. Now, what I'm going to say is I'm, I'm going to speak 
as soon as I can get my mouth around what the word says about that. So come back to me because everything I say is going to manifest. There was one particular time that the Lord instructed me to do something. It was naturally speaking about a situation. I didn't know which way to go. And my emotions were caught up in it. It had to do with my son and a relationship he was in. And so when my emotions are caught up in something, I, I'm, I, I wait a bit because I am untrusting of emotions. And so I'll wait if I, and not do the mama thing. I'm not going to act until I can get clarity. And sometimes I'll just pass on a decision and ask somebody in authority, my husband, somebody, and go, you know what? My emotions are too involved in this. You're going to have to make the decision because I can't see my way clear through my thoughts and emotions on this. You can be a little clouded and think you're hearing from God and you're not. So I didn't, I didn't, couldn't get settled on exactly the will of the Lord in this matter because my, it wasn't a wrongful thing. It was just my emotions were involved. And so finally, when I felt, uh, I talked to one of my board members, I called her up because my husband was in the country of Nepal along with my son and, and they weren't really reachable. And uh, it was coming to a head and the decision needed to be made. So the Lord spoke to me in the kitchen and I was standing there. I remember in my pajamas. Uh, still, I was in my pajamas at 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon because I was just home alone and just in turmoil about the situation. My son was engaged, and uh, I knew she wasn't the, the will of the Lord for him. Um, nothing wrong with her. Just wasn't the one. This was, this was pre-Kate. Okay, Kate's number three. So one, two, three sometimes gets you your destiny. And so this was young lady number two, precious girl, but it wasn't the right one. And uh, they had gotten engaged. And so the Lord spoke to me and said... Um, I want you to go lay hands. Her, her shoes were in my house. Now, when people come over, they, we leave our shoes. We had hardwood floors at the back door in this house, and they put them in a basket. So when people are in our lives, you know, they may have a couple pairs of shoes or flip-flops or something. So she would come stay with me uh, while the guys were out of town and hang out. We would do stuff. You know, this was going to be my future daughter-in-law. And so she had left a pair of her sneakers. And the Bible says everywhere the sole of your foot treads, you can possess the land. So I'm not telling you this is not a doctrine I'm preaching, okay? I'm telling you what the Lord instructed me to do in a situation, and it, it would line up with Scripture. He said, I need you to go over there, and I want you to lay hands on her shoes, and I want you to open your mouth and release her. And I'm like, God, you mean Jack has to do that? Because he's my husband. He's the man. He's the authority. I'm like, my God, is there no prophet in Nepal? Why do I got to do, you know, be the bad guy? And I said, because I knew that if I spoke, that my words would be so. And I said, Lord, what if I'm wrong? What if this is me? What if I'm at all wrong? I will have sent this girl away because she's going, if I say it, it's going to happen because the Bible says so. It's whether you believe that or not, it's still going to happen because your words manifest. And so I knew that my words would manifest. And so I needed to be sure. So I felt the presence of the Lord and it was not a good day. I didn't even feel physically well and I'm never sick. I went over there. I thought, this is ridiculous. I don't do things like this. I'm, my husband's the touchy-feely one. I don't get touchy-feely. And uh, so I knelt down and I did what the Lord said. And I said, you know, her name, I said, I release you. You know, you have somebody else is for you and you're for them. I release you from this family. And when I did, it lifted off of me. I felt like something had literally physically been sitting on me for days. That feeling had lifted off of me. Um, but still, my son was coming home and I had to tell him what the Lord said. And uh, to amazing is credit, took it fairly well. But that's just an example of me uh, opening my mouth and speaking. God was not going to do my speaking for me. And one thing I did ask him about that, I said, Lord, how come you didn't ask his daddy to take authority over that? He said, because in the Bible, single women are under the jurisdiction of women. She's under your jurisdiction and authority, not your husband's. And he had to take me through a lot of scriptures for that one. 
I was like, oh, okay, I see. He's like, you, you have to do this. Interesting. So that's a whole other story and sermon, but you all have to come to, to school if you want to hear about all that fun stuff. Um, so uh, basically, your life is never going to be better than your thought life. Did Peter try to pull Jesus out of the will of God with his mouth? Yeah, Jesus said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. What was Peter saying to him? Hey, Jesus, don't say that. You can't go to the cross. And what Jesus answered Peter, he said, Peter, you have an unrenewed mind. You're talking to me about natural things, and you're causing a trap. So when you say things that sometimes you think are good for people and comforting, but they're not the will of God, like your family's like, don't go to the mission field. We don't want you to go. You know, the beetles could eat you. You know, the carpenter ants. I saw that movie, and they ate you and sucked you into the hole. You know, and they think they're being, yeah, don't watch that creature feature stuff. Don't go to the mission field. I, I hate bugs, too. Another reason I'm probably not called to be a missionary, but, um, and snakes and everything else, like Indiana Jones, but. Uh, so you think that you're being comforting or helpful to some, some people, but your emotions and your thoughts can take them right out of the will of God. So he rebuked Peter in the strongest possible terms. He said, basically, Peter, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the devil that's behind you because I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. Get thee behind me, Satan, because you're a snare and a stumbling block to me. So your words matter. You can't be a snare or a stumbling block to yourself or others. Amen. Okay, we're almost done. So hang on. So an unrenewed mind is dangerous. So uh, go with me to Proverbs 14.1 real quick. It says, a wise woman builds up her home, but a stupid one, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't say that word. It's in the Bible. Stupid is in the Bible. Uh, you were like, oh, you're so harsh. No, I'm just reading Proverbs 14.1. <laughs> but a stupid one tears it down with her own hands. Here's the paraphrase. A wise woman builds and repairs her family with the word. But the foolish one beats it down with her own words. That word hand in the Bible, you all know, translates power and direction. In the natural, if I want anything, my hand is my power. Get my car keys, get some money, take a can of soup off the shelf, touch somebody, receive money. My hand is my reacher. It's my power in the natural. In the spirit, your mouth is your, when it says hand, it says power and direction. That means the way my mouth answers, that's the power and direction. If I answer wrongly, it's still going to have power and direction to it. Amen. If I say, yeah, I feel sick. Yeah, I agree with Satan that I'm actually not healed because I don't feel healed and I don't look healed. That has power and direction to it. My life goes on that course. So it's saying that this a woman builds her house with the words of God or tears it down with her own mouth, which is her hand or power and direction by criticizing people, criticizing family, harsh words, whatever, anything that Jesus wouldn't say with her own power, direction and force. So whatever you're saying is manifesting. Here's a a saying I like to say that helps me remember things because I'll paraphrase things from the Greek and do a transliteration, which is from uh, the King James to Greek back into English, but correct English, not American slang vernacular. I like to say it like this. um, Whether you believe it or not does not change the truth, but it will change the outcome of your life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your belief system, whatever you want to found it in, like, well, I don't really believe that. That's not going to change the truth that it's so, but it's going to change the outcome of your life. I don't believe that what I say happens. It's not going to change the truth that it does, but it will change the outcome of your life, fortunately. So in that, in that sense, God is in control. He is in control of his words. So if you're struggling in an area, it's either disobedience or your mind is unrenewed in that area. So figure out which one it is. You are being slow to obey. Just repent. Get that right. Lord, forgive me. Just get in line with it. You can change what you think and feel like that doesn't take a process. 
you can just call it what it is. You know what? I have stinking thinking, and I'm going to change what I want. God, you said uh, you want vanilla, and I like chocolate. Well, I decide to like vanilla. That quick. It's a decision of your will. It does. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to process it. It's turning off the thoughts and feelings that have become a stumbling block. I don't mean you're a robot that doesn't. In the Bible, it talks much about holy emotions. So there must be unholy emotions. Okay, there are emotions that uh, my body wants to dictate to me to be governed by my mind. But those aren't coming from my spirit, man. But when emotions come by my, from my spirit, man, which usually is the word compassion. Compassion means I'm going to have an action in line with God's word. I'm going to do something for somebody else. Okay, that's a holy emotion. We want to yield to that. But I don't have to yield to all the emotions that my body and mind comes up with. 1 Peter 1, 5 says that you're kept by the power of God through faith. So your words are your entry and your exit to the faith life. Proverbs 12, 6, the mouth of the upright delivers them. So if you pray for God's hand to deliver you, are you going to get that prayer answered? Jesus is going to say, once again, you have asked me for something that A, I've already done, B, I gave you power to do. What did he tell you in his word? I've already delivered you. Jesus died on the cross. He rose. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down because he finished his work, but you got up because you just got started on your work. So Jesus is sitting down, but you're off your badunkadunks because you're not sitting down. You're seated with him spiritually in high places. That means you have authority to walk and run this race, but you're not sitting down on your backside in your recliner saying, God, your hand in power, deliver me. That's David had to ask that because he didn't, he wasn't authorized in the New Testament, but you're authorized to say, God, by your word, I agree with it. And your word delivers me in my own mouth, but you got to use your own sword. You're asking Jesus to sit on his chair and whip out a sword and get up and do your work for you. He's not going to do it because he can't. Well, Jesus doesn't love me and help me. No, he gave you the keys. There's only one set of keys and you got them. He doesn't have them. So he wants you to use them. He's like, put the key in the lock and turn the lock. So uh, first Isaiah 43, 26, God told you to put him in remembrance that you were to plead together with him and uh, remind him of his word. But notice this in Isaiah 43, 26, when God says put in remembrance of how many of you ever wanted something from mommy and daddy? Or you wanted to go to Disney World ice cream and you went to mommy and daddy and said, mommy, daddy, I cleaned my room. Hey, remember when I washed the dishes? When you wanted something, did you go and put them in remembrance of all your good deeds? Yeah. So when you want something from God, how can you crawl before the throne, if at all, and go, God, I'm such a worm. I'm a scum of the earth. I did not clean my room. I gave my peas to the dog, and I hit my brother. You go and you tell God all the horrible things you did, or you don't go at all, or you like Adam, you hide from it. God said, put him in remembrance. He said, come plead together. Come extol your virtues. God, I'm righteous because Jesus did everything right for me. As you said, you're supposed to extol your virtues. God, you love me best. I'm the apple of your eye, and I can do no wrong. And Jesus is my big brother, and he, you're supposed to extol your virtues. And then go before him boldly before the throne of grace and say, now, daddy, I need something else. If, it, how I, if I like it when my kids ask me for stuff. I don't, I don't like it when they ask me for stuff that they are not entitled to or didn't earn. But when they've done good, it's like Pastor Josh. He was kind of like a male Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. And so when he would ask for something, I delighted to do it. And many times I'd be like, why didn't you ask me? Or why didn't you ask me sooner? I, I would do that. They're happy. They're always trying to be grown up. But you're, you, you want to, to bless them, especially when they do right and they, they do good. But God said, basically, if you didn't do right, the blood of Jesus was sufficient. So you can still come ask for ice cream. 
He's like, but remember he kind of said, kind of be smart, guys. The heathen are smarter than you, and it shouldn't be that way. So even they're going to lie in court and pretend they didn't do anything wrong. So you don't have to lie. The blood washed it away. So you're to come boldly for the throne of grace. You know what? You're going to have to use your faith to forget your past. Let's close with this. Go to Philippians 3. Let's look at what Paul said. Did Paul have quite the past? I don't care what it is you've done. It it wasn't as bad as Paul. Yeah, unless you're Jeffrey Dahmer's cousin and we just don't know about it. Um, But he's like, basically, let me just enumerate all the things I did wrong. You know, I'm a persecutor of the church. I murdered people and did all these things. But this is the great apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and lived his whole life once he was saved in the pursuit of the gospel. Most of us would say we're not nearly as good as Paul. This is what he says in closing out his life, Philippians 3. Brethren... I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I do not count myself to have fully grasped yet. I'm still a learner. He's not in eternity yet. He's like, I'm pressing. This one thing I do. So Paul could have listed 25 things. Hey, there's a list of 25 things you want to be sure that you do in your lifetime. But he said, one thing I want you to remember. This one thing I do, as I do it, you do it. I forget what lies behind. And But he said he didn't just forget. He pressed. So if it feels like you're pressing... Congratulations, you're finally doing it right. (laughs) People are like, I feel so pressed. Was there more to that sentence? Because I don't know what your point is. If you're doing it right, you're going to feel pressed. If you're doing it wrong, are you going to feel pressure? There's pressure. There's wrath. And then there's the press of God. One is designed to press you out and to get you to back up from the will of God. One is to press you into that narrow road that actually said it's made narrow by compression. So if you feel like the walls are closing in, the floor's coming up and the ceiling's on down, then stop, drop, and roll forward, baby, because then you're in the right place. Narrow is that way. So you're going to get pressures coming to all of us, and you can't get out of pressure. So you're trying to escape from pressure. People are by drinking, keeping their faces in their phones, playing games, trying to escape pressure. It doesn't work that way. God didn't authorize anybody to escape. He said, choose. I'm going to let the press come until it presses you out. It presses you in hot or cold. If you're in the middle, I'm going to puke you up in the toilet. That's just what God said. So Paul said, I forget. I'm going to have to leave those things behind. But you know what? I would say this too. Uh, Some people are still rocking their high school hairdo. And they still got their high school football trophy on the mantle. Because they don't even have the ability to forget past successes. And in some cases, we have to go, yesterday's excellence is tomorrow's mediocrity. And we can continue to win and go forward. We can't say, well, remember when we had melons in Egypt? Remember the good old days? It was great. So even for Paul, had to, Paul had many successes, did he not? But he still said, I'm forgetting the past. He didn't say just the negative past. He said, hey, in other words, we went to the mission field last year. Do I want to celebrate that for the next 10 years and talk about the mission field last year? Or do I want to say, hey, for one week we had a party, we saw a video, we had pizza. Now let's get the applications out for the next one. Like what else are we doing? So so you can't camp on just past successes that you had once upon a time because today's excellence is tomorrow's mediocrity. If I say we did really good today, we had a good service, and I walk into tomorrow and I coast on that, then I become mediocre. So that's what Paul said. It was a press. It would be a constant press for him to go, no, we're going to press forward. The direction is forward. The direction is not backwards, and the direction is not standing still, and it's certainly not sitting down. So you're going to have to march on. So uh, God has authorized you to have the last word. So let me leave you with one question. What are you going to put in your mouth this week? Besides food. Yeah.
take some time this week. Practice, exercise, taking the last word over thoughts, taking the last word over feelings, take the last word over your circumstances and see how your life begins to move in the direction. Your life moves in the direction of your dominant thought and your dominant thoughts coming out your mouth all day long. If you're not sure what you're thinking, ask someone to record your mouth and we'll all know what your man thinks in his heart. So is he. So a practice uh, having the last word and then you'll be much happier because you know how you all like the last word. Amen. All right. Go grow and I'll see you soon. Let's sing, Miss Linda. Sing because we're happy. Of the mercies of the Lord forever, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord.